So we come to our reading today, and then Nick will bring the message. So Nick wanted me to do the reading, so you can tell there are going to be some tricky names in it. Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Yeah, so um, bear with me. We're going to read from Haggai, chapter 1. It says this. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house, so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and on the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, And the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the whole of the Bible. Thank you for the Old Testament and new. Thank you for the story that it presents to us of your people, the history of your people. These stories are as relevant to us today as they were then, Lord, we pray. As Nick comes to share uh, this passage today with us and expound, expound on it, that we hear the message loud and clear. As it was loud and clear at that time, Lord, let it be loud and clear this time to us, here and now, in Stains, in this place. We pray, Lord, that your, that your word speaks to us so that we may act. And Lord, we bring you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm really tempted to ask you whether you've ever read Haggai at all. Um, if you haven't, it's a great little book. It's really short. Um, so have a go. And you can read all of it. And the, and the title of this series is Time, Time to Build. Um, so I'll just get my notes in the right order. And you can see that picture up there, which is really clear, isn't it? Come back to that thought in a minute. Two kinds of building... 
there on that picture, the physical building, the, the people, the actual church, the people. So why Haggai? I want to introduce you to this guy. Well, for a very specific reason. We're looking at some, some really exciting, some might say daunting, you might say scary building projects. We want to build the church. We want to build the actual church, which is the people, which is the kingdom of God here in Staines Kong. And we set ourselves a prayer that we would double in size so that Staines can hear the gospel. Primarily because if you don't pray for something, you end up just praying for the status quo. If you don't aim at something, then you're aiming at just things being the same. So that's one of our building projects. The other building projects, we have to look at the buildings that house the church. We've made a decision not simply to repair them um, on their own terms because it can't be done. And so we have a second feasibility study underway at the moment to take our plans to the next level. You might call these two aspects of building the trellis and the vine. The vine is, is the people. The vine and the branches is Jesus. Um, and, the, and the branches are us. But a vine needs a trellis. It needs structures um, to grow up. Um, and it needs, not the least, somewhere to meet. And so one of my questions is, how do we find the courage to do this? Um, we kind of, in the Solomon group, that's a little group that are looking at the building. We look at think and think, quite often, don't we? Goodness me, this is really scary. Um, how do we find the courage or more how do we maintain the courage to keep on going down the road? It's easy to make bold proclamations about great projects. It's easy-ish to start down the road. It's more difficult to push through when you've got difficulties or opposition even. So what do we do? How do we equip ourselves for going forward with this task? And the good news, at least for us, is that the people of Judah experienced the same problem. They started a building work and then they lost heart. And the Lord sent who? He sent the prophet Haggai and the prophet Zechariah with the message that they needed. So the plan is, uh, we're going to do today, and then I'm going to pick it up with a few more sermons um, from 27th of, uh, of August. We're going to listen in to what the Lord says um, to Judah through Haggai and I equip ourselves for going forward. But first, some, some background. Here's my patented Old Testament timeline. Um, if you can see along the bottom, um, these are the books of the Bible. I think I've lost one. Somewhere around the corner. Um, those, those are the books of the Old Testament in order. This thing above the top, this line, which starts at that top corner, you just about see it, um, starts with the Garden of Eden, then there's the fall. So this is, in a sense, the earthly progress, at least the outward-looking progress of the, of the kingdom of God on earth. So there's the fall, it hits a low point, then God calls Abraham, the kingdom builds, there's the, the conquest as they, um, Israel go into the promised land, and then there's a, time, there's a time of the kingdom, and it reaches a high point under... David and Solomon. Um, but almost as soon as it reaches that high point, um, it goes into decline. 
and it goes into decline in two directions. That's the dotted line. The dotted line is the kingdom splits into two um, after Solomon. It splits into a northern half of ten tribes, and then the, the southern half, which is Judah, with Benjamin uh, embedded in them. And the northern half is conquered by Assyria. They're taken into exile, and it ceases to exist. Absolutely ceases to exist. That's the dotted line. They go down, and they never come back, the ten tribes. But the, the tribe of Judah... The, the southern half of Israel, um, they too decline. They're taken into captivity by Babylon initially. But then amazingly, a time later, Babylon was um, conquered by the Medes um, and then by the Persians. And amazingly, Cyrus the Persian um, gives them permission. In fact, he tells them to go back and rebuild the temple. And they come back. But the kingdoms never as big or as amazing as it was before. And the Bible books fit in roughly like this. So Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, very roughly, very, um, very roughly, they, they kind of, all these books, which we would think of as history books, they, they, chart, they chart the rise uh, of, of the kingdom of God from Genesis, um, the calling of Abraham, um, through Exodus, through Moses, um, through the law, through the conquest, one and two, Samuel and, and David the king. So we think of those as being the, the history books uh, of the Bible, and they kind of follow that kind of time period. Um, pointing it the wrong way. But then the next books in the story, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, come in this time period which we're going to be looking at when the southern kingdom have been given permission to return. And you can read about this history in Ezra and Nehemiah. And Esther, I suggest you go and read Ezra um, and, and Haggai if you want to really understand this. Um, and the books of one and two chronicles, they're written at this time, at this later time, but they look backwards to broadly this, um, broadly this picture in the middle. Then the next books come in the Bible are this chunk, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. They're kind of associated with Solomon. That's the wisdom literature. They're associated with David and Solomon, so they come out of that chunk at the top. But the important thing to, re to realize is the rest of these, they're all prophets. Here is Haggai, um, tacked on there. And there are these five, four major prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah and his little book of Lamentations, um, Ezekiel, uh, and Daniel, and they're the four big prophets. And the point about the prophets is they all speak about the kingdom as it's declining. They all speak into this situation of decline. And then we have 12 little prophets. Um, since I first did this PowerPoint, I can't remember why they're in this order. Um, Joel is roughly, we don't really know. Joel's a, a bit of a mystery because there's nothing in it that gives us a really clear idea of where the dating is. Um, but these guys are all dated over here, roughly contemporary with these prophets. And then these guys, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, they're over here. So this is the exile, this downslope. This is the return, um, return to the promised land. So there you go. But let's just try and get our heads around that. So 586 BC, Judah's been taken into exile by Babylon. They've been conquered. And so 583, Cyrus of Persia decreed that all the exiles, um, all the people that he'd taken into exiles, could go back to their lands 
And I think part of his point of that was he wanted them to rebuild their temples and their religious systems because I think he was just trying to cover all his bases. He thought, let's just keep all these gods happy. And this proclamation from Cyrus is written on this thing that looks like a dowel. Um, I, I don't know how big it is in, in, in real life. It must be quite big. It's called the Cyrus Cylinder, so you can go and Google that. Or if you wanted to, you could go and look at it in the British Museum. Though, obviously, you can't read it because it's in this little um, tiny, tiny writing. But it's there. But if you read in the beginning of Ezra, it was God who moved his heart, and he told the exiles, um, the Jewish exiles, to go back and build the temple at his cost. That would be a bit like, I don't know, Surrey coming to us and saying, can you please rebuild your church? Because we think it's kind of, you know, it, would be, it might be a blessing for us. Um, and as a result of that, over 42,000 Jews returned to Jerusalem. A new foundation for the temple was built. Um, so basically they had an altar sitting on a foundation slab. But then when opposition came from the people around them, they lost heart. And they stopped. They stopped building until... 520 BC, along come Haggai and, and Zechariah. And the work was then completed. You read, we read, didn't we? They were stirred up and the work was completed in 515 BC. So what was the problem? What was the problem? And the problem was they'd, they'd lost heart. Despondency, I guess you, you could call it. Lack of confidence. They were knocked back by the opposition. But in this second year of King Darius, we read, we're just going to look at the first couple of verses this morning. The second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, which I think is one of the great names of the Bible, to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. This was the 29th of August, 520 BC. Because of the, um, the calendars of the nations around, we can, we can date this really accurately to within a, within a day. 29th of August, 520 BC. Haggai has a word from the Lord. I don't know if I've got this written down, but he has, he, he has four words um, from the Lord over a period of, of about three months. Um, presumably, he wrote them down. Um, and that was it. He had a little purple patch, bless him, um, where he had kind of like four words for the Lord, but uh, for the people, um, or, or actually on four different days. There were six words, really, on four different days. And they're directed to Zerubbabel. Although he's described as the governor here, he's actually in the line of Jesus, if you go to Matthew 1. So he's in the royal line. And it's directed to Joshua, um, the high priest. And Joshua, of course, is the same name as, uh, as Jesus. Store up those thoughts for later. But the Lord says, the Lord says to them that the people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. The Lord knows people's hearts, and they are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. What? 
sounds so simple and yet really profound. Surely this is a people who've been given a massive God-given opportunity um, by Cyrus. He sent them to go back and, and, and to build this thing. And they're sitting there and the slab's built and they've got an altar so they can make some sacrifices and they're saying the time's, time's not yet come. Not now. Let's leave it till later. Leave it to the, leave it to the next generation. They know that God has called them this. They know they've got an opportunity. They know the temple needs to be rebuilt. But as, as soon as they're opposed, they lose heart. What's gone wrong? Well, I suggest three things. They've lost the, they've lost the vision. I'll have to be quicker, won't I? They've, they've lost the vision and the calling. <coughs> they've come a long way, literally. They've come back from Babylon. They've seen miracles of provision. Um, that The government is prepared to pay them uh, to do this. And now that it's hard and there's opposition, they're prepared to settle for the status quo and they're making excuses. They were called, they were given the opportunity to go and rebuild the temple and they're saying, leave it. We, we've got an altar, we can make sacrifices, it's enough. No, it's not says the Lord, the temple must be rebuilt. They've lost the vision. they focused on circumstances. The times are hard. Times are hard, they're saying. People don't like us. If we do this, people don't like us. Money is short. It's not worth pushing through. And when this slab was built, this foundation, there were, there were some people who, who rejoiced, um, but some of the others cried. And presumably, I think they were the older ones who'd seen this slab and they thought it's not as big as Solomon's temple back in the day. And so some people cried and, and, and some people, because they thought we can't get back to past glories. So they're focused on these circumstances and on the smallness of what they're doing. But the real killer and the Lord knows this, is that they've lost the appetite for the real presence of God in their midst. They've lost the appetite for the real presence of God in their midst. The temple was the place of God's dwelling uh, amongst his people. It was the sign of his presence. What they are actually saying is they're not really bothered whether the Lord is in their midst or not. So shocking. Get musical accompaniment for that man. In other words, they're saying, it doesn't matter whether the Lord's really here or not. As long as we can go through the motions, we're fine. Whether God is really present or not doesn't matter. Ah! Does that reflect us? We happy with the status quo? Maybe we have been. But no, not anymore. Are we focused on the hardness of the times, personally and Christianly? 
Yeah. But no more. We lost our appetite for the real holy presence of God amongst us. Yeah, maybe. Maybe we have. But I pray, no, not anymore. And what's the solution? The solution, as always, is the word of God. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, the solution to a loss of heart. It's always the word of God. And for the people of Judah, this meant these specific words through Haggai, but also regular preaching. It's, it's interesting to go back into Ezra and say, the elders of the Jews, this is after Haggai's word had come, the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah, a descendant of Ido. So there we go. He, he's a preacher, although he's only had um, four words, or f- words on four days from August to December 520, he, he's preaching. And, and, he's, and he's encouraging them. And they continued to build and to prosper under the preaching. So it's always the, the word of God that works. And why? Because it's the word of God that, that stirs under the Holy Spirit. The Lord stirred up the spirit of, of Zerubbabel and the spirit of Joshua and the spirit of the remnant of the whole people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty their God on the 24th day of the sixth month. And that's always the way, isn't it? It's the word uh, under the influence of the Holy Spirit that stirs. The word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It's the word by the Spirit. It's the word that gets in into those places we don't even know about ourselves. Or maybe we just lost heart, lost vision, lost an appetite for the real presence of God. And the word of God, I think, wants, tells us three things, three, three antidotes, just really quickly. The vision is always to build. The vision is always to build. Jesus, go and make disciples of all nations. Okay? So the pattern is never the status quo. The vision is always to build. Go and make disciples um, of all nations. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Church is designed to expand. Go back Acts 1.8 where we were recently. The Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Vision is always to build. And your job is to be ready to talk to people about your faith. Not ask to answer their theological questions. You're just called to be a witness to what you've seen and heard and known about Christ. And we heard that this morning. So Val can and does go and tell people that a prayer's been answered, and I'm sure Sally does as well, to go and say, well, look, that, that's being a witness, isn't it? But also to be a living stone. 1 Peter, as you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. 
to be a holy priesthood. Part of this building that goes on of church is a building together as whether it was a building in growth. So part of the building is being prepared to really know your brothers and sisters in Christ. Second thing the word of God tells us is that the days are always evil. If you're waiting for a propitious day, then there's, there's no point. Days are always evil. Um, Ephesians 5, be very careful how you live. Not as unwise as, as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish. Don't get drunk. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs. Sing and make music, always giving thanks to the Lord, the Father for everything. So don't stand around bemoaning the fact that the days are evil. Give thanks to the Lord. Encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ with some strong singing. No. Okay, don't get drunk. Be encouraging. Be filled with the Spirit. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's always going to be a, a mutual submitting in the church. Times are always evil. And our hearts are always on the verge of being lost. So our hearts will always need um, stirring up. Jeremiah says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? But God thankfully gives us new hearts. But unless we tend them, so... Proverbs 4, above all else, guard your heart, for everything else you do flows from it. Unless you tend your heart, unless you guard it, tend to be, to lose heart for the things that really matter. So what do we do? You need to expose your heart to God's word. Psalm 119, how can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? Seek you with all my heart. Don't let me stray from your commandments. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How is the word of God getting in and impacting your heart? Hopefully it happens on a Sunday morning. The word of God comes, impacts your heart. But it's also up to you to read it, to study it, to memorize it, to reflect on it. So important to pray about it. So, summer, is, it, is it time to build? It's always time to build the church. It's always time to build the church. Go make disciples of all nations. Do our hearts lack the courage? Yes, they do. But they can be stirred and encouraged by the word and spirit, and we will come back to Haggai. Are the times evil? Yes. Yes, they always are. And in many ways, it's been the day of small things. It is the day of small things in the church. But I'm just going to look this up. Can't find him. It's in Zechariah 4. The Lord says, who is it that despises the day of small things? And in other words, we could look around and say, well, this is the day of small things we will accept small things. But no, 
The Lord says, don't despise the day of small things. Do we have the resources to do it? Really interestingly, um, when I wrote this down and when I did the PowerPoint, initially I said, yes. Um, but actually, the answer is no. Do we have the resources to do it? No. But the, but the Lord does. So through his mate Zechariah, this is what the Lord said to the same people at the same time. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Do we have the resources to do it? No. But the spirit of God does. Spirit of God, it absolutely does. How do we go forward? I'm going to stick with Haggai and listen in for a while. And listen to the word of God. And I guess, as well, we listen out for what God is saying to us, kind of prophetically, for this moment in time. And we're hearing that. But let's stick with Haggai and find the courage to press on. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this word um, to the people of Judah through Haggai. They'd, they'd started to build and, and lost heart. They'd all gone home to their own homes and just built their own thing at home, concentrated on their own lives and families and not on the, the people, people of God. Or if that's us, we ask your forgiveness today. And we simply ask you give us a single-minded, Christ-mindedness. You give us trust in your power and your resources. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.